Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Drabblecast, episode 275. The Drabblecast is a weekly audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. Women and Aliens Appreciation Month continues here on the Drabblecast in March, a full month of stories about aliens written by women. Just because, you know, it's nice to be appreciated every once in a while. Hey, babe, sorry to interrupt your girls' night, but I've been at this breast pump for hours, and I still can't get these things to inflate. (coughs) I'm sorry you got bronchitis. I wish I had a pet dinosaur. Hey, honey, I made you a sandwich. I couldn't find the bread, so I just used this torn Fleetwood Mac t-shirt to keep the crackers in. Stevie, I gotta say, singing and playing guitar for all these songs you wrote about me being an asshole is the bomb. You can go your own way. This week we bring you A Riddle in Nine Syllables by Carrie Vaughn. Carrie's the author of the New York Times bestselling Kitty Norville series, a series about a werewolf who hosts a talk radio advice show for the supernaturally disadvantaged. She's also written the young adult novels Voices of Dragons and Steel and the standalone novels Discord's Apple and After the Golden Age, along with more than 30 short stories in various magazines and anthologies. This story, a riddle in nine syllables, first appeared in the fall 2000 issue of Tailbones. The story this week is produced by production wunderkind Brian Lincoln, co-host of the Full Cast podcast, who's assembled a full array of talented individuals and voices for this one. We'll mention all them in the credits after the story. For now, though, we'll get right into it. Without further ado, we bring you A Riddle in Nine Syllables by Carrie Vaughn. A Riddle in Nine Syllables by Carrie Vaughn After the attack, my team brought me straight to the med lab at base camp. They must have calmed ahead because as soon as the stretcher went through the door seals, Dr. Trainer was yelling orders. That table there, bring her over. Ready? One, two, three, lift. My view of the room shifted as I went from stretcher to examining table. Get the scanner up. Where's the entry point? 
Dr. Casey. Meg, can you hear me? I lay face down on the table. I lifted my head and tried to make an affirmative noise, but a hand pushed me back down. Casey, can you feel that? Feel what? I mumbled into the table's padding. Damn it! Trainer continued. What am I looking at here? He was just muttering. He knew what he was looking at. A six-inch slash down the back of my environmental suit and the thing that got inside. It hit me from behind. I never saw it. A whole crowd seemed to surround me. Trainer, his assistant Jans, my own assistant Harima. I didn't know how many. I couldn't see them. Just hear their voices traveling around me. Over me. I felt stupid lying there, unable to answer my colleagues' questions. Trainer's words were intent, pointed. I could trust him to solve a problem presented to him. Has a broken skin. Harima stood to the side. I could picture her wringing her hands. Yes, it burrowed. Is burrowing. Jans said in a hushed tone. By the light. What happened? A new voice, harsh and demanding, entered the med lab. Captain Alvarez. Alvarez headed the Tiga 32A survey mission, of which I was chief xenoecologist. Every world was a new conquest to him, a recruit to be tamed and disciplined to the service of the greater galaxy. He came to the head of the table and caught my eye while Trainer spouted. Dr. Casey was hit, unknown life form, possibly parasitic. Hand me those forceps. I remembered the attack. Something slammed into me like a cannonball. I fell forward to the ground and screamed as a burst of pain lit up my spine. Then I went completely numb. I was paralyzed and staring when my team members packed me up to bring me here. I know. Never turn your back on the enemy. I mumbled at Alvarez, giving him a wan smile. Good advice to be sure, but hard when the planet itself was the enemy and I was on the surface. Alvarez looked stern, his weathered face set in hard lines. We have to get this thing out of there, Jan said. It's insinuating itself in the spinal column. We can't. Not until we know the extent of its invasion into her system. Did you say spinal column? Alvarez said, his voice admirably calm. Trainer ignored the captain. We'll start slow. Jan's hypo, five cc's of halcyacine. For her or the thing? I just want to try something. There. Damn it. Everything went black. I woke up on a bed instead of the examining table, wearing a thin hospital gown. My neck was cold. I moved an arm, shifted to prop myself up and turn over, then stopped. There was nothing to turn over. I couldn't feel a thing below my waist. I looked... The shapes of two legs and a set of spreading hips showed under the sheet. I willed my right leg to move and swing over the edge of the cot. Nothing happened. Dr. Trainer! I raised my voice to as much of a shout as I could manage, but my lungs were tired, as though I'd been swimming. I started coughing, (coughs) slumped back to the pillow with my arms tucked under my head, and waited. Casey, you're awake? 
He stood behind me, so I couldn't properly glare at him. How do you feel? Tired. Cranky. At least that's how the parts of me that could feel felt. Scared that I was missing so much of what I ought to be feeling. I don't, I said evenly. If I wasn't looking at them, I'd tell you I have no legs. What happened? I was a scientist. I could be rational about this. I waited for his report. Trainer pulled a chair over and sat at my eye level. He was older, long-faced and earnest, his blonde hair cut close to disguise its thinning. His background was primarily in research, and it showed when he looked at me, teeth kneading his lower lip. In research, one seldom had to look one's patient in the eye and give a prognosis. We couldn't remove the life form. Within half an hour, it had extended through most of your lower spine, anchoring itself to vertebrae. From there, it's absorbing nearly every neural signal traveling down your spine to your lower body. We're not sure how, but we think it's feeding off those neural impulses. Harama took your team out to try and collect live samples so that we can pinpoint what we're dealing with, then find a way to make it release naturally so we don't rip out your whole spinal column trying to remove it. He dispensed with sensitivity as his explanation progressed and shrugged apologetically. An alien organism inside my body couldn't be good. Could the majority of the organism be removed? Then perhaps the remaining attached portions would die off on their own? Could I live without a spine? The academic problems of the situation kept a wall between myself and panic. Show me the scan image. I couldn't twist at the right angle to see that part of my back. I wasn't sure I wanted to. My nerves couldn't tell me if the creature had made a bloody gash or an elegant little hole, how much of the thing still protruded from my body, or if it was solely interior. Images from elementary biology texts filled my mind. Ticks, heads buried in the skin of a dog, wasps injecting their eggs into the paralyzed bodies of spiders, mistletoe crawling up the trunk of an oak, strangling branches one by one. Trainer hesitated, working at his lips again. I'm not sure that's a good idea. Just show it to me. Nodding curtly, lips pressed grimly together, Trainer went to a desk at the other side of the lab. He brought back a portable terminal with a large screen for graphics viewing. Sitting again, he tilted the screen in my direction. The image of my body jumped out in holographic imaging. I quickly mapped out parts. The fuzzy purple lines running down the center were the track nerves of the spinal cord. The defined gray series of linked shapes surrounding the purple was the backbone. Ribs showed gray. Various organs nestled in their correct places, defined in coded colors. The heart showed as a still red fist in the static image. The whole image was laced with red vines of the circulatory system. I could pretend the scan belonged to another body. The lower half of the spine was shrouded in a brown cloud, from which thin tendrils shot up and down in a straight line along the backbone from a fist-sized mass situated around the third and fourth lumbar. The thing was almost vegetable in form, sending a runner to a spot of bone, where it grabbed hold, then sent off another runner. 
Its form reminded me of what we had misnamed trees in our unconscious effort to impose our own order on this alien world. One of the first species we investigated when our survey began two weeks ago was a life-form that grew in colonies. They were the general size of trees, immobile and tree-like with columnar trunks grouped together in copses. However, they were glass-smooth and bright blue, and their branches curved back to the ground where they started a new set of roots and sent up a new trunk. We found single organisms that spread in this manner for over 500 kilometers. The parasite was doing the same thing on my spine. This was a static image. It may have grown since being taken. Trainer watched me watching the terminal. We'd worked together on other missions before Tiga. We did well as a team because we never stepped on each other's toes. I supervised field work, delivered the samples to him in the lab, where my jurisdiction ended. Our skills, his determination, my systematic curiosity, complemented each other. Becoming the object of his scientific scrutiny was disconcerting. I was about to tell him so when he announced with a tired smile. We thought we'd name it Neuroparasite Megcasius. With your permission. I reached over to shut the terminal off. I guess I'm here for the duration. Until you find a way to wheedle it out of there. He nodded. I returned a curt military nod. Then I'm heading up the research on this thing. Get me a terminal I can use from the bed as soon as possible. And if you can find a way for me to move around... Meg. Dr. Casey. I don't really think you should exert yourself. If I spent the hours lying around doing nothing, I really would start to feel, out of sheer imagination, the thing inching its way up my spine. Dr. Trainer, I have PhDs in biology from Cambridge and xenoecology from New Home University. I'm still chief xenoecologist on this survey, and I'm working on this problem. We glared at one another for several moments. Irresistible force and immovable, or in my case, immobile, object, until Trainer looked away. He probably felt sorry for me. We'd had radiation burns, xeno poisonings and allergic reactions, equipment accidents, all sorts of sudden traumatic injuries in his tenure as head physician. In most of those cases, he either saved the victim or he didn't and he knew the outcome within moments. Seldom did he ever have to face a patient and not know if she would be alive in a week. I'll show you everything we've been able to find so far, he said, and scrolled up to a different file on the terminal before handing it over to me. For four days, I studied the thing buried in my back. Neuroparasite Megcasius. Good name. I lay on my side in a cot in the lab's workspace, medical scanners and analyzers on one side of me, terminals and databases on the other. Except for the paralysis, I felt fine. Good, even. Very aware and watchful. I'd slept maybe two hours since I woke up from Trainer's Halcyoncine injection, which affected me through his treatment of the parasite. You need to get some rest, Doctor, Trainer said, finishing the analysis of the most recent scan. We took scans of Megcasius every three hours. It had stopped expanding and was consolidating its position, its limbs growing thicker. 
I should have been able to feel it. I'm not tired. That's because it's flooding your system with something that looks suspiciously like an amphetamine compound. It's keeping your neural activity at as high a level as possible. So it's pumping me high on speed. There's no reason not to take advantage of the little side effects, I said with a grin. If this keeps up for too long, it will kill you. Your brain will burn out. Would it really kill its host that quickly? If this is part of its life cycle and it reaches the end of this stage, yes. We needed a live sample to see how Meg Casius interacted with native hosts. I scrubbed my hand over my face once to clear my thoughts. I'd been looking at strings and rings of carbon and hydrogen for too long. The biochemistry involved was appalling. This critter is lucky your systems are so compatible. Trainer murmured at the jumble of compounds drawn out on the terminal. You've got it backwards. I brought the image to a higher magnification until the scan showed fine tendrils of individual nerve cells reaching out to one another. It's adapting itself to my system. It started manufacturing human acetylcholine. Compare this to its native enzyme from the tissue sample you took when we first brought it in. More compounds and molecules modeled themselves in three dimensions on the terminal. Acetylcholine facilitates the transfer of ions between neural cells and is crucial to transmission of signals throughout the nervous system. Looking at the scan, at the molecular analysis, Megcasius's system was becoming indistinguishable from my own. Its brown nerves melded fluidly into my purple ones. Signals traveled smoothly between the two. It's like I'm growing an extra brain at the base of my spine. Yes. Instinct spoke to me. A second voice, a sixth sense. I don't know. I couldn't trust my own brain anymore, not with what was happening to me. If I heard a voice, it was my drugged imagination. Life. I closed my eyes. As I did every hour, or half hour, or fifteen minutes, depending on how busy I was digesting data, I checked my body. Twitched a toe. Clenched a thigh. Nothing. I was only feeding the thing more ions. More. I could almost feel it, a weight on my backbone. A little creature curled above my hips, drinking from my spine. I didn't know how much of that was imagination, and how much was truth. Truth? What are you? I asked it. Life. Trainer was right. I needed sleep. The comm unit in the med lab hissed to life and shouted in Harima's voice. Doctor, with a life bringing it in in 15 minutes. Trainer was out for the moment, but I relayed the message, pouncing on the internal comm unit I kept on hand in case of emergency, i.e. sudden change in my condition. I'd give Trainer a coronary by using it. Trainer, live ones coming in, get your butt over here! Both Trainer and Alvarez were in the lab in under a minute. They cleared two of our sealed habitats, just in time for Harima's team to rush in, with close to the same state of panic as when they'd brought me in. They carried two portable sealed habitats. 
In the rush of people and shouts, I didn't get a good look until Trainer had the samples installed in two different cages and got everyone calmed down and herded out. Jans and Alvarez stayed in the lab. Tiga 32A had an Earth-type oxygen atmosphere, but the temperatures on the surface averaged upward of 130 Fahrenheit. The habitats we'd rigged for live samples kept the temperature at that searing level, allowing us to work in our more comfortable climate. Jans explained to the captures. We lucked out. They seemed to be solitary by nature, but we found two of them together, an adult and pre-adult. They strike from behind, which is why Casey never saw it coming. He said they found two, but the samples looked nothing alike. One I recognized. It was a small specimen of six-legged animal that seemed ubiquitous on Tiga. A black, bleeding patch on its epidermis where the lower end of its central nervous system was located told me everything I needed to know about why Harima brought it in. I had one of those wounds on my own back which suffered through trainers cleaning it twice a day. I was tired of him telling me to thank the light of existence I had no feeling in that part of my body. The curved beast, slumped over and half-paralyzed, moaned plaintively. You found a native host for Megasius, I said. The second was much smaller, rabbit-sized, spherical, and covered with lumpy nodules. It was dark, dull, and lifeless. From what little I could tell from field observations, this is a larval colony for what develops into the adult parasite. Jans gestured to the oversized golf ball. This is strictly speculation, but an adult lays one of these, which sits around waiting for a herd of one of those, he nodded at the grazer, to come along then ejects the smaller pods which drill through the epidermis to attach themselves to the host's nervous systems. They mature and separate when the host dies, then go off and produce another colony. Elegant textbook life cycle, he said smugly. The host always dies, I asked. Jans blanched. We found several dead grazers. The epidermis was ripped open, nerve columns exposed. I looked at the grazer. It seemed like a young one. If it had eyes, we would have exchanged a sympathetic look. Kin! What? I said softly, barely recognizing that I'd spoken aloud. Dr. Casey, I know this is difficult. Trainer came at me with raised, calming hands. No, I'm okay. We figured that's what would happen. I just thought I heard something. I must have looked curious because the three men stared at me, full of concern. My own face was twisted in concentration, listening for phantom voices. Maybe you should rest, Trainer said. You can look at the reports once we've finished the initial investigation. Leaning back into the pillow, I sighed. Trainer was probably tired of me glaring over his shoulder. Yeah. Fine. Chin up, Casey. Alvarez gave me my daily pat on the shoulder before leaving. Jans looked earnest. Doctor, we'll find a way to get it out. Having the samples is two-thirds of the battle. Ken! Ken! By the light. What was happening to me? 
when I was about 20, I had a dream I was raising a child, and that the child was me. I walked hand in hand with a little girl who looked just like me in Old Hollows. I hadn't tried to interpret it. I didn't want to. It was just a dream, an odd expression of a repressed maternal urge. It was such a strange image, though, I never forgot it. Now, twenty years later, I dreamed again. I dreamed I was pregnant and that the baby spoke to me. We carried on conversations. Philosophical, emotional, academic conversations, like I hadn't had since I was twenty and thought I knew everything. Who are you? I'm Meg. Kin? I suppose. Who am I? A pause as I considered. You're you. Yourself. Self? It's who you are. You, no one else. Individual. Self. It could not vocalize its lack of understanding, but I felt it. A wash of confusion. Do you have a name? What's a name? Your parents give it to you. Then you're stuck with it until you reach majority age and can change it. Parents? They're the ones who name you. Name me. Neuroparasite Megcasius. I woke up, sweating. The grazer died three days after Harima's team brought it in. It had plenty of sand to eat, lots of heat. Trainer dissected it and pronounced neural overstimulation as cause of death. A brown, spidery organism that moved in rapid twitches emerged from the body shortly after the grazer's death, extruded a spherical egg colony a day later, then promptly died itself. That's one way to get rid of it, I said sardonically. Trainer and Jans didn't appreciate the joke. The conversations with my invented child continued after I woke up from my dreams. They became more detailed, more mature, as though the child were growing up in minutes instead of years. Sad? Happy? Neither. You? Content. You feel? Why do you want to know? Curious. I feel helpless. Why? I'm dying. Oh. A long pause, and I questioned. You still there? Yes. But now I feel sad. Another long pause. I could feel its sadness, a sympathetic reaction, heavy and depressing. Who are you? I asked, noticing the change from what to who only after I asked. Neuroparasite Megcasius. Good name. I had to consider. Trainer, any chance Megcasius could be intelligent? What? He stood from his latest experiment. He'd introduced another life form to the first egg colony's habitat. For one life form, one nodule erupted and attacked. Megcasius had no preference. 
all the sample species we brought in, grazers, climbers, lopers, and hunters, were fair game. It was extraordinarily adaptable, little more than protoplasm looking for a nervous system to fuel it. Any intelligence at all? Higher brainwave functions, advanced communication, something other than the usual artifact evidences? We had found no sign of advanced intelligence on Tiga 32A. No structures, tools, domesticated animals, advanced forms of communication. But the bounds of scientific ignorance in these matters never ceased to amaze me. Not a single one. What are you thinking? I want to try a different kind of scan. I waited patiently for the hour it took the med scanners to go over my torso and brain with an electronic fine-toothed comb. This is strange, Trainer said, examining the first batches of data. If I'd been able to move more than my arms, I would have tackled him. What? It's not just absorbing neural impulses anymore. It's emitting them. When did this start? Four days after the attack, when I asked, What are you? and received an answer. Life. It's adapting itself to me. Mimicking my systems, right? I think it's configuring itself for functions of higher intelligence. Meg, that's crazy. Trainer said, running a hand over his short-cropped hair and looking tired. I still felt wired, too awake and eager. In the last few days, however, my hands had begun shaking uncontrollably. I hid them under the sheets when I could to keep Trainer from seeing. Trainer? It's talking to me. I'm hearing voices in my head. He hesitated, gnawing his lip before answering. Are you sure that it isn't some other side effect? You said it yourself. If it's adapting itself to you, it's probably reflecting some of your own neural impulses. You're talking to yourself. I crossed my arms, clamping my hands under my elbows. All this nervous energy and no place to put it. It's inside my head. I don't... I don't think it's anything else. I sounded unsure, even to my own ears. I think you should rest. His most often repeated phrase this last week. I can't! I shouted. I squeezed my eyes shut and felt tears starting. I'm sorry, Pete, I said, forcing my voice to a whisper. His hand touched my shoulder and gave a quick squeeze before he moved off. Now you're scared. How can you tell? You're shaking. It's your fault, you know. Why? You're the reason I'm dying. You're making my nervous system work too hard so that you can feed off the excess impulses, and it's killing me. I'll die. Then you'll go off and reproduce. That's what your kind does. Oh. I didn't know if it understood. It seemed to relish these conversations, but it didn't seem to understand that it was living off me. A parasite. It didn't seem to understand that we were different and incompatible, not simply two ganglions locked in mutual discourse. Almost two weeks had passed since we first encountered Magcasius. I wasn't working on research anymore. My hands were no longer reliable. 
All I could do was lie in bed, reading reports the others produced, think, and talk with my eponymous parasite. The questions never ended. I want to help. Then leave. Just get your nerves out of my nerves and leave. It didn't answer. Its newfound sentience couldn't overcome instinct. I'm sorry, Meg. I'd seen the scans of the impulses. It was throwing my own thought patterns back at me. I couldn't tell if its sentiments were its own or my reflected anxieties. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Despair and love. It was a strange feeling, not originating from myself, yet so close I just had to shut my eyes to feel it, and shut my eyes against stinging tears. It wasn't its fault. I was the one who'd given it intelligence, the ability to feel the pain it inflicted on me. But then, it wasn't my fault either. I never wanted to have a child. I thought I was dead. Meg Casius wasn't talking to me anymore. I heard Trainer and Jans moving around the bed. Easy there, Trainer was saying. Gently expose her back. Good. Now onto the stretcher. Get her prepped quick, we don't have much time. If they moved me, I couldn't feel it. Meg, wake up! Wake up! Urgency shot up my spine and jolted me awake. Probably a shot of epinephrine to boot, produced by Mancasius. I was on a stretcher being shifted to the operating theater when I spasmed and tried to sit up. Meg. Doctor, easy there. Trainer stood at my side, pushing me back down. What's happening? I asked, my voice cottony and weak. The paralysis had spread. I couldn't feel my arms and could only move them with effort. We've got an antidote. We spent all morning testing it, 100% success rate. It'll be fine in just a bit. He explained rapidly as he continued guiding the stretcher. Ow! It's an agent that inhibits cholinesterase. We can inject the parasite, disable it, and separate it from your system before the compound affects you. Cholinesterase reacts to break down acetylcholine. While acetylcholine is instrumental to the transmission of neural impulses, a buildup of it eventually impedes transmission, like someone holding down the button of a telegraph transmitter instead of tapping it. When cholinesterase is inhibited, the production of acetylcholine is unrestricted and overwhelms the nervous system, eventually resulting in seizures, catatonia. That'll kill Meg Casius. I tried to wake myself up. Of course. Trainer said. You're going to kill Meg Casius! I think I shouted. Meg, you're one step away from a coma. We won't be able to pull you out. It's your last chance. No, it's alive. It's sentient. It thinks I'm its mother. It's killing you, Meg. Then find another way. One that'll let it live. Meg, you'll see this more clearly later. He said evenly. His calm was maddening. Just when did I lose the doctor in front of my name? All this yelling was making me lightheaded. Captain. 
I didn't see Alvarez, but he was standing nearby, overseeing the proceedings. Captain! I called before Trainer could continue. It's sentient! It's communicating with me! You can't let him kill it! It's either you or it, Alvarez said curtly. No! I'm responsible for it! I can't let you! I didn't know what I was thinking, arguing with them while sprawled on a stretcher, three-quarters paralyzed. Dr. Casey, Alvarez said, instituting his most severe voice, the inarguable voice. You are relieved of duty due to unstable mental state and critical medical condition. I'm ordering Dr. Trainer to remove that parasite from your system. That is final. Best Earths! I had a thing alive inside of me, and they were going to kill it. Megasius. Meg, you're scared. Yes. It'll be okay. Everything will be okay. It tried to comfort me. It was trying to comfort me. Clumsily, ineffectually, like a child. I could have cried. I think I did. Screaming and incoherent, until Jans stuck me with a hypo, and I went under. I needed a week to recover from the nerve agent trainer used, which did in fact affect my system. Trainer told me that I'd had a bad reaction during the surgery. They almost lost me due to severe shock, and the parasite almost didn't let go, even after the poisoning. I was glad I didn't remember any of it. As soon as I could, I was walking again, at least a little, across the med lab and back. I could feel my back now, where Megcasius had burrowed, and it hurt like someone had ripped my spine out. Early on, I made a small, unambitious trek from my bed to the specimen hood. Trainer had two Megcasia specimens dissected and laid out behind the transparent plastic shield. The first from the Grazer Harama's team brought in. The second from me. My Megcasius. I stared through the transparency at it, a gelatinous brown mess the size of my hand, its tendrils spread out in a star, eventually tapering off to microscopic neurons. We found something, Trainer said. I didn't hear him come up behind me. He moved softly, spoke softly around me. They all did, Jans, Alvarez, and the rest. He punched a key on the terminal beside the hood, bringing up two diagrams. This is the nerve structure of a normal parasite, the one we took from the grazer. You see it's primitive, a completely linear circuit. He lectured and I followed the line he traced on the screen. Nerves radiated from the center of the thing in simple blue lines, one after the other. Here's the structure of the other parasite, the one we took from you. He pointed. The picture was completely different. A rough circuit still existed, but along it lay starbursts, clouds of neurons in three-dimensional arrays, complicated patterns that led nowhere and everywhere. My mouth hung open. Trainer took a deep breath. 
neural networking, almost identical to that of the human cerebral cortex. Intelligence, I said flatly. He ducked his head. We don't know that. It was mimicking your system. It wasn't originating intelligence. That thing spent two weeks inside my body, growing and thinking. I asked questions to the place it used to live, now a palpable emptiness. I don't know what else to say, Trainer said quietly. I must have looked stricken. I shook my head and the apology away. It's okay, Pete. I'll be okay. I just need time to get my brain chemistry back to normal. How much time that would take, I didn't know. The scientist in me argued that I was being irrational. I should have been questioning whether or not it had even happened, acknowledging that any sentience had been a quirk of the parasite's biology. I should have been writing papers on it, not mourning it. But that wasn't what the mother in me felt. That was our story. Hope you enjoyed. Alien parasites are the worst. What other sinister creatures in the universe could possibly be capable of tearing through a woman's body with their faces? Oh right, babies. Riddle of nine syllables, of course, the first line of the Sylvia Plath poem, Metaphor, which is often interpreted as having to do with childbirth. Special thanks to our cast of characters lending their voices in this one. Veronica Giger as narrator and Dr. Casey, Brian Lincoln as Dr. Trainor, Doc Coleman as Yawns, Julie Hoverson as Harima, and Obsidian Abnormal as Captain Alvarez. If you enjoyed this week's story for Totally Free, remember it wasn't free for us, nor is it cheap running a weekly professional fiction market that pays authors three cents a word for their work. It only takes a second to donate and help us out, folks. Just head over to Drabblecast.org and click any of the support options to the top right. We greatly appreciate it. Alright, moving on to our 100-character story winner this week, with this one here. My bloody stumps drag over the pentacle, in, out, in, out, eternal shaking. This is what it's all about, he cackles. Congrats to first-time winner Shawnee for writing that one. 100 character stories, not counting spaces. Try writing one yourself and post in our fun discussion forums at forums.drabblecast.org. Plug into the community. Alright folks, that's our show this week. Remember you can freely share all these episodes with your friends because Drabblecast is produced with the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, which means as long as you don't alter our content or use it commercially, you're good to go. Between Drabblecast B-Sides, our sister podcast, and the main show here, there are nearly 300 episodes chock full of awesome free short fiction for your ears. It's always appreciated if you have a minute to write us a review on iTunes, and we love it when fans blog, tweet, or Facebook about the cool stuff going on here. Do your part and spread the weird. Special thanks to our kick-ass woman artist this week, longtime listener Jan Dennison. Jan is a dark gray mass of neurons attached to the first lumbar vertebrae of a web designer and artist in Columbus, Ohio. 
Our program this week was brought to you by Nikki Drayden, managing editor, who personally did all the heavy lifting this month, selecting and soliciting stories. Nathan Lee, our submissions editor, who's still trying to figure out how that breast pump works. Our art director, Bo Kyer, who has a thing for blondes, and that thing is called his penis. And additional support from David Carvin, David Steffen, and Tom Baker. We'll see you next week, weirdos. Until then, this is Norm Sherman reminding you to never turn your back on the enemy. And as women surround him like clothing, all tussled and ready to toss, all tussled and ready to toss. He mutters these words to his lackey. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.